Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read. Let's start reading in verse 8. And let's read through down, down through verse 16. I believe that's right, yeah. Alright, is everybody there? Boy, well, y'all are quick. You must have had your place marked. Or does your Bible just fall open today? <laughs> verse 8, chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and, went, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. That's a blessing. For he looked for a city. I mean, there's no greater blessing than your children and your grandchildren uh, having their hopes in the same place, believing the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Uh, th th through faith, we'll read this. I didn't mean to for this to be, but I mean, it's just interjected in there, so we'll read it. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who is promised. So she believed God too. How about that? Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were pilgrims, or, or strangers, and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. All right, and then Jesus told us about going to prepare a place for them that love him. Alright, Father, thank you for the Word of God and thank you for the record that's sure and true. And Lord, I pray you'd help us today that we would hear the, hear the promises, see the example, and understand, uh, Lord, what faith does for us. That's the point of this whole chapter so we can understand by looking at the lives that have been lived and completed before us. The examples you set before us here of what real faith does. Please help us, Lord, this morning to take it seriously, to examine ourselves, and to see if we be in the faith that we're reading about here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now one of the true measures of true faith in God, in the God of the Bible, is that the believer is a, a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. you got a different outlook on things you view everything differently see now i'm not talking about just uh, uh playing a character this is a this is a whole different thing your mindset is completely different once you really put your trust and your faith in god you understand so far you're a pilgrim and a stranger not a citizen of this world you know, my citizenship changed. It really did when I got saved. Abraham, we read here, um, 
Well, I turned my page, so I can't read here. But in the verse, I like to see where I separate the verses out. In verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, that's tents. So he sojourned. That means that he lived there as a stranger. He never was at home there. He never called that his home. He didn't feel like that was his home. He didn't live as if that was his home. He didn't build a, a brick house. He lived in a tent. That's right. Abraham was rich. He could have built a house if he wanted a house. If Sarah would have stayed on him long enough, because she wanted a house, but Sarah didn't need a house either. She believed God too. So a tent was fine. I've told my wife, you know that song we sang, a tent or a cottage, why should I care? Because we used to live like that. We kind of lived in a tent, sort of. But I mean, it's just the way you look at life. He lived in tents all of his life, and so did Isaac and Jacob. Did you ever think about that? Three generations, and that's how they lived. They didn't have a home place. They didn't have a, a big rock house that Grandpa built. They didn't have anything to look back to like that because they were pilgrims and strangers here. They were living because they for heaven. He looked for a city that hath foundations. He wasn't looking for a city here to live in. He wasn't looking for a place to put his name in an arch over the driveway, you know, and call it by his name like the Bible says in Psalms that every people do. And then they die and somebody else gets it and it's all vanity. Abraham didn't live like that. He lived in tents all of his life. So did his son. So did his grandson. Their lives were lived as if they were on a journey. That's what sojourning is. It's like you're just there for the time being, but you're on your way somewhere else. Sojourn. To dwell is a different thing, you know, when you're the strict meaning of the word. It can be temporary, but sojourn it makes it very clear that this is just a temporary thing. The world was not their home. They were just uh, passing through. Every day was considered one day closer to the destination. That city that had foundations. What's your life like? Hmm? Do you think that way? Do you think when you go to bed at night, well, sometimes I'll tell her, well, it's one day closer. Yes. When you take off on a journey, a long trip, you know, if you're going to go to Bob's Blood, it ain't no big deal. But I mean, if you're going a thousand miles, it's kind of a formidable thing in front of you. Mm -hmm. and, and you start checking off the miles as you go. Really, you're checking the miles to, that's left. Right. <laughs> that's right. But on this deal, see, it's kind of open-ended that way because we don't know exactly how long we've got left and how far, much farther it is. So we check off the days. It's another day closer. Yep. It's a journey. You look at life as a journey instead of all there is. What it's all about. You, you, you start seeing... Now let me stick with it there so I can try to make it as clear as I can. He'd spent the first 75 years of his life in a place he called home. So he knew what it was like to have a home. 
And the Bible makes it clear here that they could have went back had they had a mind to. They had the means. They knew the way. They could have went right back and fell right back in the place where they were before. But these people did not. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like we are, ain't it? I've seen a lot of them go back. Just go right back to the world. Go right back to their old life. Go right back to where they used to live and pick up right where they left off. But faith will not let you do that. Faith will keep you from doing that. These all, the Bible says, they could have went back, but they didn't. Once he put his faith and hope in God, he never considered going back there. Jacob, he fled from his brother Esau and went back there for about 20 years. But he couldn't stay there. And he returned to the land of Canaan to dwell in tents again. You can just think about that a little bit. All who truly have their faith and hope in God and His Word are different from the world around them. I kind of know what it feels like to live in another country and be a stranger. And be so... Uh, what you got? What's the word? Uh, visible. Somebody was talking the other day about the time I was in that bus station and I was, there was a mirror on the wall and I was walking along there and I just happened to see over there and there I was in the middle of all these brown people and everything. <laughs> and boy, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And it is no wonder that everybody stared. We'd pull up to a stoplight and everybody on the bus beside us would stick their head out the window and stare at us. <laughs> and at first it's funny and then it ain't funny no more. <laughs> you know, what are you staring at? And, you know, it does. It gets on you after a while, being a stranger. Everything's strange. Not knowing how anything works. I mean, we moved down there and didn't even speak the language. And so, buddy, it was rough. For a few months, it was bad now. To get anything done, to figure out anything, to keep people from taking advantage of you or anything, it was a hard deal. Being a stranger is not pleasant. That's why God repeatedly says in His law things about how you treat strangers. Because you were a stranger, remember? you got to be a stranger to understand what we're talking about here. Abraham willingly lived. And so did Isaac. And so did Jacob. And so did everybody that's in this chapter. Because he goes back to this thought at the end of the chapter. They viewed themselves in this world as strangers. I don't speak their language anymore. I don't understand their ways anymore. I don't really feel at home here anymore. I don't belong. I don't fit. I don't think like they do. The values, the things that I count as valuable, they don't. And the things they count as valuable, I don't. So I just don't fit here anymore. That's what faith works in you. Real faith. In the real God. Religion's a different thing. Religion can just meld right with the world. You know, like the Catholic Church and their missions that they've always done. They just go there and they just adopt whatever superstitions and pagan worship they've got and blend it together. And there you go. That's how they've survived all these years with the help of the devil. Well, reckon that'll offend a Catholic? Yeah. I don't know. 
I've got some Catholics that I guess listen, they read stuff and like it, and I just can't seem to offend them. I don't know what to do. <laughs> it bothers me, really. Do you want to offend people? No, but I don't want them to stay in their blindness. What is it that I'm not saying plain enough? But once he put his faith and hope, he never considered going back there. Those who truly have their faith and hope in God and His Word, they're different from the world around them. Their life is about something different than those among whom they live. The meaning of life is different. Yes. What is life all about? What does it mean? You know, what's the meaning of life? Well, what I think and what they think, Two different things. And I find a lot of people sitting in churches who agree with them but don't agree with me. So what's up with that? The pleasures of life are different. The things that I uh, enjoy, the things that I love, the things that I desire are different than they were before. The world had some appeal to me before. Yeah, I bought their music. I listened to their music. I enjoyed what they had. But all that evaporated when I put my faith and trust in God and got born again, a new creature. That All, all that stuff just smells bad now. It looks bad. It's not pleasurable anymore to me. It's not desirable to me anymore. And you know what the bad part is? is whatever I drank out of that slop trough is still here. And you better think about that when you're reading, when you're listening, when you're looking at what they've got. Because you got a, something about it records it in here. <laughs> we, you know, we're old, but we'll go to places and you know they're playing music. I know all the words. Yes, me too. I mean, I didn't even know that I knew them. I know the next note in the song. And I, I didn't even know that I knew it. The pleasures of life are different and the purpose of life is different. What am I living for? What did Abraham live for? He lived for God. And he was looking for a city that had foundations. He had a purpose in his life. We preached on Abraham for a long time. And you remember how we talked about how he got along with the people of the land. By him maintaining his identity as a stranger. I mean, he was not one of them. He didn't go in and, and just adopt their ways and dress like them and learn their language and, be, and take on their customs and superstitions. He didn't do that. He stayed apart from them. But they had the utmost respect for Abraham. When his wife died, he wanted to buy a piece of land and they said, anywhere you want in our country, you pick the place and it's yours. Now that's the kind of relationship he had with them by staying separate, by living for God. God won't make you treat them like trash. God won't make you dishonor them and ever with your tongue and your life. Right. This is the way that works. 
you're a, you're a stranger here. And you're a pilgrim here. And you're not of this world anymore. And you live like it. You think like it. You talk like it. The pleasures you seek, the, the things you partake of in this world, all testify that to them. And they may, some of them may raise Cain about it and, and smirk and ridicule. But the future they're looking for and expecting is different than what we are expecting and looking for. What hope did those people of Canaan have for the future? For eternity. <laughs> for life after death. <coughs> Theirs was all a bunch of imagination and, uh, you know, foolishness. Abraham had the real deal. And it showed in his life so many things, so many things about Abraham. What do you think the people of the land thought when Isaac was born? Do you think Abraham had made known the promises that God had given him? Or do you think he kept them a secret in case it didn't happen? Well, what do you think? Well, I think he did too. I believe they knew what he was hoping for. Just like what they know what we're hoping for. Yes. <laughs> and they may laugh and mock and scorn us. But someday it's going to come to pass. The day will arrive. I mean, God will come for His own. We will all stand before God and give account. They're separate from the world around them. People that are living as a pilgrim and a stranger. They're separate from the world around them. And they're separate from what's in the world. And they're not of the world. The world sees them as different and treats them as though they're different. Now, I'm talking about us here. Does the world treat you differently than they do other people? Of course they do. That's a very plain fact and to me. In my life, it is. has been for years and years. They treat me different than they treat one another. Sometimes worse, sometimes better. But they know the difference. I don't have to advertise it. I don't have to rub it in their face. I don't have to make them see anything. Never have. Never have. Didn't have to promote this in my life to them. They recognize it. You know, they they treat us different. They realize that that uh the world realizes that they're that we are like strangers among them. I used all the wrong pronouns here. I don't know what I got myself all mixed up here. The world realizes that we are strangers among them because we're different. They don't understand us. It confuses them. You ever had anybody like that since you've been saved? That really they just can't figure you out now. They're wondering if you're if there's anything real. That's the issue. And they're watching you for years and years to see if there really is anything real in this or if you just joined this religious crowd and hooping it up. <laughs> well, that's the truth. They know the difference between the real deal and the, just the party Christians. The ones that like to get together and shout her out. 
Yes, that's true. Mm. Thank God that I was delivered from all of that. I was around all that stuff for years. And I am very thankful that I've found reality in God and living for God and the truth and what it's all really about and what really works rather than just getting together and everybody having a shout out. I've seen so much phony, fake stuff and uh, and I've seen what it brings. You said something about generational. You watch that through. It's a blessing to get old enough to see two or three generations and see what what causes what and what kind of seeds produce what kind of fruit. Amen. They speak a different language. And they speak of things that the world doesn't comprehend or understand and has never known about the people of God. They speak a different language. And we've got to be careful that we don't just get our, make that our religion. You know, I've known people that they get in there and they start saying all these little things. But it's meaningless to them, really. And then they, they can't communicate with the lost because, and how in the world can I... You know, I get real specific here about some things, but just there's little things that have just become cliches in our religious talk. The blood is one of them. It's been abused greatly. People, most people, most people who sit in churches have no idea what they're talking about, what they're saying when they say, what's oh, under the blood? Or I'm covered by the blood. Well, that ain't a New Testament thing. Anyway. But they use it like a, like a superstitious chant. Really, that's, really, that's what it has become. And so we want to be careful about our language that we use. Let's stay in reality. Let's stay in the Word of God. I mean, if you're going to say things, say it the way God says it. Say it to mean the same thing that God says it means. Don't follow the world's influence on the church and. Making up these little things. Words are just a thing that, that gets abused a lot. In every way. And it's always changing. The language is always changing. <laughs> Adding these new phrases and things and changing the meanings of old words to mean something else. And so, you know, it's a generation thing where the young people think the old people are ignorant because we've they don't know what we're saying, you know. I mean, we've invented these new words. and So it's always a changing like that. See? I mean, if somebody from a hundred years ago would come in and you said, well, that's cool, what would they? <laughs> cool, they'd probably feel of it and say. <laughs> People in religious circles do the same thing. They speak a different language. Things are important to the people of God that to the world are meaningless and unimportant or even despised. There are things that are important to us that they don't care about, obviously. How about going to church? How about the Lord's Day? Yeah. How about dressing right? How about having a clean mouth instead of a profane mouth? Yes. How about looking chaste instead of like a harlot? Yes. I was looking this morning. 
one of these big preachers and his wife, my goodness sakes alive. I told her anybody that's got any kind of discernment at all could just look at that and say, whoa, whoa, something wrong here. Yeah. Things are important to us that, doesn't, that don't matter to them. Like discipline in your children. Like where your kids go to school, how they get educated and all kinds of stuff. We can go on and on. Things that mean something to us that don't mean anything to them. What version of the Bible do you use? That's a joke to most people now. Most of them think they're intellectually superior because they use all these versions and you're just an old ignoramus because you're just you're stuck on one. That's all. I got the Word of God. And you don't. If that's what you're using. Amen. Things that are important to the world and are, that are considered by us to be meaningless and unimportant and despised. Sports is not important to me. Never has been. And much less now. Is it important to them? You better believe it, boy. It's all life's about for a lot of them. Means nothing to me. I think it's vanity. There's, well, it teaches character. There's a whole lot better ways to teach character than that. Yes, sir. Uh, well, I, you want me to name some more? There's a lot of things that they think are real important that we do not. How about dating? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> how are you going to... I mean, how are we ever going to get God's people to understand that that's a worldly thing? Mm -hmm. They've invented it. Yes. And it's not God's way. But they think it's super important. You get some girls like yours, Seth and Betty, the pressure is on from every quarter about it. <clears throat> Boy, yeah, I know too. Man, it's just a, it's such a formidable foe that you can't hardly overcome it now because the world puts so much pressure because they think that is so important yes. Yes, sir. so many other things we're just different because we're just traveling through here we're not part of this mess but they are this is all they got this is all their world this is all their life and so what they cherish and put all of their the basket they put all of their marbles in, they want you to put yours in there too. Yes. And they don't understand when you don't. Now if we examine ourselves today, how, much, how, how do we measure up as pilgrims and strangers in this world? Well, what is life about for us? You. I mean, what is life about? You ever think such profound, serious thoughts as that? What does my life amount to? What am I, what am I shooting for here? Everybody talks about having goals and you know all of this, but about everybody that I've ever heard say that they're talking about goals for worldly, physical, temporal things. What's your life about? Making a million dollars someday, having a vet someday, having a big old house someday. With a gate out in the front, it's got my name over the top of it. Yeah, I can just see it. I can't wait. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna 
Got to have gold, you know. <laughs> a pilgrim doesn't have goals like that. His goals are somewhere else. Abraham looked for a city that had foundations. He wasn't looking for a city here. I've never wanted to go to New York City. I hear people talk about that. Oh, good to go to New York City. Man, you couldn't... I wouldn't go there if you paid me to go there. I don't want to go to St. Louis, let alone New York City. Why would you want to go up there? I mean, especially now. Their deal is not working. I mean, it's lawlessness lawlessness and anarchy now. People getting shot right on the streets and everything. And all kinds of other things going on. I don't. There's nothing in the world that appeals to me anymore. And let me tell you how it is. Less and less and less the older I get. There's nothing that appeals to me. And we're living in a time where there's cameras all over the world. You can see the world, any place in the world, anytime you want to see it. I know it's not the same as standing there looking at it, but you can still see it. Your ancestors couldn't. I mean, people that grew up here a hundred years ago, all they ever saw was these hills. That's it. And see, not even a picture, really, of anything else. Much. Now you can see everywhere. You can watch a live cam just about anywhere in the world if you want to. <laughs> well, why would I want to? You know, what is there left to desire of this world? What is life about for us? Is it really about looking forward to eternity and being in the presence of God in a sinless and holy environment? Or is most of our view earthly and physical and temporal? Now, you just got to... I mean, I just know that would convict every one of us if we'd just be honest about that. Right there. What is life about? What is your life about? What do you spend most of your time thinking about doing? Uh, what do you spend most of your energy on? What do you spend most of your money on? Hmm? What's the purpose of life for us? To plan and work and strive? To have possessions or earthly contentment and happiness? Everybody's just trying to be happy. Just trying to be happy. By buying something, by going somewhere, by being... Uh, you know, changing the circumstances around of their life. Trying to be happy. Trying to be content. Just chasing a pipe dream. The grass is always greener on the other side. Y'all heard that, haven't you? That's just, that's the way it looks. It's really not greener on the other side. Unless you're a cow that's starving inside a fence and can't get out. You've seen that before, haven't you? That's where that old saying came from. I've seen cow belly deep in grass and having that through the fence and trying to get what's on the other side of the fence. And people are just like that. Yes, sir. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. <clears throat> it's vanity, Solomon said. It's all vanity. He that loveth silver cannot be satisfied with silver. No matter how much he has. <laughs> it's just the fact of life. This world... Is vanity. It does not satisfy you. The only thing that will satisfy you who are made in the image and likeness of God is to be having your goal set higher. 
To be looking for that city that hath foundations. Living for it. Waiting for it. Preparing for it. Is our purpose of life to plan and work and have and strive to have possessions here? Or is it to learn of God and be conformed to Him in our spirit and body so that we can represent Him well in an ungodly world around us? I believe that's the way Abraham's faith worked because that's what it did in his life. You know, when he went and rescued Lot and all of them kings of Sodom and everything and and he met Melchizedek there on the way back. Isn't it kind of strange to you that, that all that deal that happened? I mean, Abraham was somebody who worshipped God and everybody knew it. Abraham was somebody who, who lived for eternity and everybody knew it. And who was it that met him on the way back? Well, it was Melchizedek. King of Salem, Prince of Peace, King of Peace, rather. Yeah. He, everybody knew. See, that's what I'm trying to get across here. Abraham lived for God. He, he let others know about God. How, there's so many things we can read about in the Bible. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, Jesus said, and was glad. <laughs> yeah. The Bible says in Galatians that the gospel was before preached to Abraham. If Abraham heard the gospel, Abraham preached the gospel. He lived the gospel. He really did. When he took his son, and I haven't even got there yet, but when he took his son Isaac and put him on that altar, he was living the gospel. And so, don't tell me that everybody around him. I mean, he was a stranger and he wasn't a nobody. He was a very wealthy man with a lot of stuff. He made a he had a big footprint, is what they say now, you know. And in a land like that over there, he his presence was very well known. And so they would want to know who he is, what he, kind of man he is. And they did know. <coughs> And so that's my point here. Do we learn of God and be conformed to Him in our spirit and in our body and our lives so we can represent Him well in an ungodly world around us? Do you think Abraham did a good job of representing God to those people? Yes, sir. I believe he did. Sure do. I can think of a lot of things like Abraham's servant when he went to get a, a wife for, for Isaac. You remember what kind of man he was? You remember how he prayed? Mm -hmm. To God just like Abraham would pray? Mm -hmm. How he trusted God through the whole thing? See, Abraham had some influence because his life was different. Mm -hmm. We don't have any influence in this world unless we're different. Why in the world can't Christians now understand the importance of that fact right there? You've got to be different. And not weirdo different. Not kooky different. you just got to be different in this world. You've got to have a different future, different pleasures, different outlook on life. It makes them take notice. 
when your life is lived for something besides what they live for, that they never find happiness in, that all they find is trouble in. So, do we really think that worldly success and prosperity impresses the world around us that God is blessing us? See, most Christians think that. They really do. That's why all these prosperity preachers are so well-known and they're so rich. It works for them. They're rich. they got private jets. Some of them got a fleet of them like Kenneth Copeland. And their own airports and mansions and everything. So God has blessed them so greatly. Do you really think that the average Joe out here looks at you and sees you prospering and says, boy, God's really blessing them. You know what they say? They're stealing it somewhere. That's true. Probably selling dope on the side. That's right. That's what they really think. They don't think God, that's God's blessings. But they do recognize God in somebody's life. They can't deny it. They notice the difference. Yes, they do. And while Christians are trying to prove to the world God's blessings on them by all their prosperity and success, the world's mocking and laughing at them and only taking notice of those, (laughs) some of these dwelt in caves and dens of the earth, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Those are the ones that had the influence. Those are the ones that left a mark on the world. Don't believe it. Don't believe that success or failure in earthly matters is God's blessing or curse on you. Don't think that. There's no proof of that anywhere. There's plenty of evidence to the contrary. Let's be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves which world we really love more. The world that we live in now or the world God has prepared for those who love Him. Be honest. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Everybody knows this verse. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Which world dominates our thoughts? Hmm? What do you think more about? So we can't think about heaven all the time. I mean... He's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. Ah, baloney. I don't believe we're in any danger of thinking about heaven too much. What do we think about most? Mostly. Most of the time. What are most of our thoughts about? Things of this world? Or that city that God's preparing with foundation? You know, I've noticed too, I've thought about this, in this generation we're living in, heaven's not a big deal anymore. If you get your hymn books out, get an old hymn book, where are you going to find those songs about mostly? Heaven. Yep. Not anymore. No, the, the songs now are about happiness, pleasure, success, joy, happiness here, right now. Or the struggle, yeah. But, you know, I was thinking about that the other day, too. And all of the world's songs are mournful, sad, crying songs. That's all they sing about is their sorrow. (laughs) 
when I was a kid, hee-haw. You know, I never did understand that little deal they did all the time. You know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for hard luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. They were mocking their own music. That's country music. That's what it's about. Your dog left you, your wife left you, your pickup broke down, and the whole world's over. And you're drowning in your beer. I mean, that's what country music is about. That's what all of the world's music is about. Christians shouldn't sing like that. Man, I don't like mournful, melancholy, sad songs in church. God's people don't sing like that. And, and that's why in Babylon they said, Sing us one of the Lord's songs. They said, We can't do that here. It's inappropriate, it don't fit, and can't do it. They hung their harps on the willow trees. No song. Which world dominates our thoughts? Which world dominates our desires? Think about it. Your desires. What you're looking forward to. What you're thinking about in the future. Your planning and your and all of your life. I mean, what is it you desire? Well, I know when you're young, it's different. Everything's before you. You start out with nothing and so there's a lot to desire. But after you chase it around for 40 or 50 years, you're going to figure out it's a, it's a vain chase. What's the point? <laughs> Wish I'd have lived for God and invested like Jesus told me to in heavenly treasures 40 years ago instead of spending so much of my time and wearing out my body and, and spending all of my means trying to get more on this earth. They're trying to work out some plan. Our plans. Which, which world dominates our plans? Well, let me hurry. I've got some more to say here and I want to get it said. Uh, which world has the most influence over our spirit and soul? I'm wanting you to ask yourself that question. I'm asking myself that question. Why don't you do the same thing? Which world has the most influence over our spirit and our soul? Which world has the most appeal to our mind and heart? Do we live and move and have our being in this world we live in? Or do we live and move and have our being in God? That's... So what are you saying? You just got to sit around and think about God all the time? How, how, if He'll never leave us nor forsake us, then when are we supposed to leave Him or forsake Him for this world? Where, where, where are our little exits and detours where we can just get off for a while and enjoy something of this world? Where's that at? That's not there. A life of faith is the life of walking with God. And you're, if you're walking with God, you're not going to be too far from thinking about it. I know life. We gotta, you know, we gotta think about driving while we're driving. Yeah. Because somebody has to. Most of them are not. It's true. I left here yesterday, got right out of town. Here come a car, right a straddle, like to run me plumb off the road. It happens every time I get out on the road. Every time I go anywhere, we meet people on the wrong side of the road. They're not paying attention. And I doubt that it's because they're just thinking about God and heaven and waiting for that city and they're just, and they get their mind off their business.
Most people can multitask. But very few people have enough discipline of their mind to keep it in tow, you know, to keep it in line. We get caught up in the cares and the activities of life. Now, we got stuff to do. Yes. But that don't mean you don't have to, that you've got to leave God out and just forget about Him. Don't mean you've got to forget about eternity while you take care of this earthly business. Is our life really focused on the cares, the passions, the possessions, and pleasures of this world with only a few occasional thoughts of eternity? I'm afraid that's the way it is, isn't it? We think mostly about everyday life and what we've got to do. And, and just once in a while we'll think, well, about heaven. Yeah, that's good. That's wonderful. Amen. Thank you for heaven. Someday, yeah. All right, now, back to... It's about the way it is, isn't it? <clears throat> you can't live life like that successfully for God. That's not faithfulness. That's what I'm trying to say. You can't be faithful to God and live like that. Or is our life focused on eternity and our thoughts only on this world for what is necessary? Don't you think that'd be much better? Don't you think everything would work much better for us if we thought about God, heaven, and eternity a little more? And the things that we think about concerning this world a little less? You know, most of the time our thoughts are vanity in this world. Do we care more about what the world around us thinks of us than what God thinks. James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Well, now you've got to care more about what the world thinks about you than what God thinks about you to be a friend of the world. John 15 and verse 19. If ye were of the world, Jesus said. If ye were of the world. So we're not of the world. We're strangers and pilgrims just passing through. The world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Well, they don't like what we stand for. Because a life lived in faith and obedience to God with heaven in view, rejecting this world, that's what offends them when we reject what they love. It offends them. When we condemn their sin and wrong by simply living opposite to them, if we won't join with them, then we, they feel like we're judging them. They feel judged. I've heard them say it over and over. Just because you exist, I feel judged. That's what he's talking about there. If you were like them, they'd, they'd love you. <laughs> but if you're not of them, they're going to hate you. And then he goes on and says, they hated me. How in the world? And his servant's not greater than his master. Why would you think that they're going to love you, but to hate me? Always have. Being a pilgrim, 
and a stranger here in this earth means that we will have to bear reproach and ridicule from the world around us. Mark chapter 8 and verse 33, I believe it says, I ain't smeared. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Alright, I just want to ask you a few more questions here and then we'll be done. How much of our thoughts, how much of our energy, how much of our study and conversation is spent in preparing for the world to come? Are you getting ready for that city? Are you doing anything to prepare yourself, your spirit, your soul, your mind? You know, whatsoever is holy, let him be holy still. Whatsoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. When it happens, when it's over, everything's fixed. A lot of people have this false idea that when you die, somehow, you're go- or when the Lord comes, we're going to be, somehow we're going to be changed into this spiritual being that we've never been before. That's not true. Whatever you are right now is what you're going to be in eternity. Whatever you have, that's what you're going to have in eternity. As far as spiritual understanding and knowledge, it's not going to be where we get there and God just fills up everybody's cup even. The rewards are going to differ. Yes, sir. So how much are you preparing for that city? Abraham spent 175 years preparing for that city. At least a hundred. He was 75 when he was called. He'd lived to be 175 years old. So, hundred years. <laughs> I don't have a hundred years. You don't either. But how much are you doing to prepare your mind, your spirit? How much are you working on yourself? How much are you spending preparing for the world to come? To make sure that your title's clear. You know, we've been dealing with this property deal and and it's an important matter to make sure that that heaven is your home. You know, church had this property for 40 years. They poured concrete on it, parked on it, claimed it, mowed it, everything for 40 years and no tight, no deed to the property. How many people are sitting in church same way? They just fell into the parade and followed along and marched along for years, but they never did the important matter to make sure that it was really theirs. Is heaven your home? Or is this earth your home? That's a big question. And it's a big issue here in Hebrews 11 about faith. I mean, he really stresses this. This is a, this is a trait. It's a truth about faith. This is what it does for you. It separates you from the world. You know, preachers shouldn't have to preach about being separate and convince you that you need to be separate from this world. The Holy Ghost does that the moment you get saved. Believing in God and having faith in God does that. It sets you apart because you are different than them. 
And you don't want this world anymore. I mean, Jesus said you'll not hunger, you'll not thirst anymore. What was he talking about to that woman at the well in John chapter 4 when he said that? He that drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never die. But he said, thirst no more. Thirst for the world. We ain't going to want this stuff. Just about now. In my, have we, how much do we invest in our thoughts and time and study and everything in making sure that our personality, our temper, our spirit, our passions are suited for that place? I mean, if, if any one of us was dropped in there right now, how would we fit? With our personality, with our attitude. Huh? With our spirit. Are we ready? Just because you prayed the sinner's prayer and got baptized don't mean you're ready for heaven. Mm -hmm. Will it really be like going home? Or is it, are you gonna, would, it, would it be like you're in a strange place where you just, you know, these people won't even come to God's house on earth. And they're going to, they think, they try to convince themselves that they're going to live in God's house for eternity in heaven. <laughs> come on. Every one of them that I know is profane and ungodly and just like you were talking about. I don't know any godly living people who won't go to church. That's right. Amen. Amen. I'll stand by that. Yes, sir. You show me one. Now, unless it's some old lady in a nursing home or in a hospital, they can't go. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who won't go. They're not ready for heaven. And just because you go to church, that don't mean you're ready for heaven either. Your spirit, your attitude, your soul. Are you in tune with God? Are you one with Christ and one with God? Have you got the mind of Christ? Will it be home to you? Well, if it's not, then you need to be preparing. You need, that ought to be what we're doing all the time. I, I, and you can't know. I mean, you can't understand where... Uh, you know, there's always more to learn, more to know, to get ready for heaven. If you live a hundred years old... In searching for and, and, and getting to know others who are like-minded and pilgrims and strangers here also. How many people do you know now really that live this kind of a life and who have the faith of Abraham and they're looking for a city that has foundations? The old timers had a rough life. A lot rougher than we have it as far as physical work and all of that and poverty and the hard times. I mean, we're, we're just rich in the increase of goods. We talk about we're poor, but everybody that wants anything, you just go get it. That's about the way it is now. We get whatever we want. We just do. It's the way it is now. But it wasn't for them. And so heaven looked a lot better for them. That's why heaven's not a big deal now because we got everything we want, anything we desire, we just get it, we do it, we whatever. No, we do not deny ourselves very much. But how many people? You ought to search for people that, that are pilgrims and strangers here. 
who are looking forward to heaven. And you ought to hang around them a little bit. You ought to associate yourself with them. You ought to converse with them. You ought to fellowship with that kind of people. The pilgrims and the strangers ought to get together. The world's pilgrims and the strangers, they do that, don't they? The Mexicans that come up here, they all live together. Man, when I started dealing with them over there in Virginia, I, all I do is find two or three houses, and that's where all of them were. <laughs> they all stayed together. And if you found where they washed their clothes, you can find them all there too, because they did that together. I mean, they stuck together. I believe God's people kind of do that too. I really do. All right, one more thing. In learning all we can about God, this is I'm saying how much of our thoughts and energy and studying all this are we spending in preparing? How about learning all we can about God and that place, about righteousness, about holiness, and about eternity? Learning all we can about it so that we can represent God properly in this world. We're ambassadors for Christ. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Yes, sir. We're given a space of time here to learn all we can learn, to prepare ourselves for eternity and to, and to uh, learn all that we can about God. Are you learning? Are you a pilgrim? If you go out west, that's what they'll call you, a pilgrim. It's somebody don't belong here. What are you doing here? You know, and they just look at you. Somebody said there was a sign. Well, I seen it. It was a sign in Montana. It said, welcome to Montana. Now go home. <laughs> that's the way the world feels about us, too. Well, one of these days, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And one of these days soon, that's what's going to happen. Mm. Will the circle be unbroken? Do you ever think about it? I do a lot because there's... I, 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 it concerns me. The more that I learn and know about God and the longer I live, the more convinced I am that most people are not ready because they're not pilgrims and strangers here. They fit right in. <laughs> they can go anywhere, any place, and they're just part of the crowd. They live and work and plan and dream of the same things that all them people out there do. And you're not ready for heaven if that's the way you're living your life. You couldn't be happy living in a tent, having nothing. Life would be miserable for you. You just couldn't stand it. You'd think God had forsaken you. Shouldn't be that way. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. What did Jesus accumulate in this world? Of worldly goods. Nothing. Nothing. How many times he pulls money out of his pocket and says, Here, let me be a blessing to you. 
Never. If they needed money, he said, go catch fish. Yes. Look in his mouth. Render unto Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. Those little words he said were just so. And money belonged to Caesar. I got his name on it. Got his superscription on it. Who's Im- his image on it? Well, whose image is on you? Render unto God the things that are God's. You belong to God. Amen. Give Caesar his money. What is it anyway? What does it matter? A house or a cottage, a tent or a cottage, why should I care? He's building a mansion for me over there. He's preparing a place for those that love him. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth here this morning. Wish I could be make it clear. Wish it would be more uh profound and and arrest our thoughts and our minds. But Lord, I pray You'd help us to get this. Pray You'd alert us in our spirit when we are getting too caught up in this world, in this life. And when we, our, our desires and our, our thoughts are so entwined in the things of this life and this world. Lord, please help us in this. I pray You'd help us all to walk closer to You. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We should use this world, but not abuse it. We ought to. uh, We do no more than we have to to get by in this world and spend most of our energy and our thoughts and our focus on preparing ourselves for the world to come. Please help us, Lord, to get this right. Pray this would sink in to our minds and hearts that this is one of the marks, major marks of salvation is that we are called out of this world. And Lord, help us to understand that that means now. That doesn't mean, as everybody seems to think, that one day when Jesus comes, He's going to call the church out, a called out assembly. No, we're a called out assembly now. We've been called out of this world. We're not of this world. We just read the verse where you said that you have called us out of this world. So Lord, help us to live like it. Strangers, pilgrims, uh, but ambassadors at the same time to this world that used to have its have us in its snare. And we used to walk in the same excess that they do. But Lord, we've been delivered. Thank you. Thank you. Praise your name. Pray you bless the word to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen.